This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 498, for March 9th, 2016. Howdy, folks, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. And joining me, as is regularly the case, is Susie Oaks, executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How's it going? I am swell. And yourself? I'm very good. I feel much better now. Yay! <laughs> yes, this is no longer the plague cast. Plague Everyone cast. in my house has been sick, so we're we're just taking turns, and now it's someone else's turn. Uh, I'm well. I'm entering allergy season, but I'm also getting allergy shots. So the question is: Do the allergy shots improve my uh, immune response before allergy season hits? Who will know? It's a battle of the T cells, or maybe some other cells. I don't know. I'm not a biologist. Uh, however, I know where I can ask for help about Apple. I uh, can't ask for help about biology. Maybe I could ask for help on Twitter about biology. But uh, we got a few. Uh, so I'll just uh, I'll, I'll precap because we've got a few stories this week. Uh, we'll do a few small stories first. Then we're going to talk a lot about the FBI case because uh, that's been dominating the news. And then at the end of the dormant podcast. Dormant Cyberpathogens. Oh, my God. Dormant Cyberpathogen. That's a great metal band. I just love them. Dormant Cyberpathogen. Uh, and then we'll talk we'll about uh, some uh, encryption issues about Amazon's uh, – fire on, fire off situation, or off and on, <laughs> and the Trojan horse ransomware. So that'll come towards the end of the episode for those Good looking times. for times. Just fast forward, hit the fast forward button. But to start with, Apple, uh, you know, signs of new things at Apple, Apple support is now accessible via Twitter. Wild. Yeah, that's amazing. It's fun. Um, I don't know if you've ever, if uh, sometimes it's funny reading people's Twitter mentions um, if they get hilarious Twitter mentions. Macworld gets some funny Twitter mentions because um, some some people out there in Twitter land are confused and they think that we are Apple. Yes. Or we're, you know, like a branch of Apple or we provide some kind of official Apple support. So we'll get like legitimate questions and, and that's like understandable. But then we'll also get like these hilarious tweets where like something will come out and it'll just be like all this like profanity. It'll be like, my iPhone doesn't work. You bleep, 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 bleep. And it's really great. And I share them in our slack and we love them but um so maybe we'll get fewer of those now but um and then the other mentions that i love reading are, are my friend will smith at tested he gets yes. hilarious mentions of everyone thinking that he's the other will smith but anyway off topic yeah apple support uh finally joined twitter so people have like uh you know an actual apple um twitter account to ask their questions to it's at apple support and that's great because that means a lot of times you just need one little thing answered. And if you go to Apple's, if you like Google the problem, a lot of times you you get like the Apple forums or the amazing, you know, Mac rumors forums or something. And but it can be hard to to weed through all those answers and find the one that really applies to your problem. And plus, you know, you don't really know if if it's from someone who knows what they're talking about. So so this is huge. I mean, I think it's something they probably should have done a while ago, but it's been uh, it's taken the world by storm. They've got 185,000 followers and it launched like a week ago and they've already tweeted 8,700 times. So oh my gosh. they're coming for your for your 400,000 there, Glenn. The funniest uh, thing I saw so far was a fake FBI James Comey account that said, hey, I've got an iPhone 5C. And I need help unlocking it. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> it's like, I have an Apple 5C and I've lost the password. Yeah, how do I, how do I unlock it? Uh, yeah, it's a great use. I mean, you know, here's the trick that's been true for years. Ever since brands and companies have gotten on Twitter, it, you know, you can complain endlessly to them via email, via the website, whatever. You go on social media and you complain to an account or you complain in general and suddenly the world opens up to you. I got Comcast to refund me 
many hundreds of dollars because of a ridiculous contract thing with a business account. Uh, they're just like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, we'll take care of Twitter. it. They're all If you just yeah. like make a joke about Comcast, they're like, how can I help? Like DM me your account number. And you're like, no, I was just making fun of you. Wait, there's an incoming call. It's from Comcast. They heard us. <laughs> uh, like, oh, my God. You know, the funniest thing everybody. about support that, that I'll tell you is 20 years ago, I was running early uh, internet forums on website for PeachBit Press. I was their first uh, internet uh, host web developer. And we ran some simple forum software that allowed threaded posting. Um, and uh, there are a bunch of different boards. And over time, they stopped. You know, they weren't being used that much and nobody was posting. We were, you know, at some point, we we're going to go shut them down. And I'm just poking around and I realized there's a forum we hadn't looked at in forever. I think they'd forgotten it existed because they weren't, they were linked from the main site. And it was called like, you know, I don't know, like AOL information, I don't know, something like that. But it was four books that they published. And there were thousands of messages and no one had looked at it in at least a year. And it was people who, because of probably what was Alta Vista at the time, we were the top result for cancel AOL, the oh. top result on Alta Vista. So people would go there and they would post information about, you're not letting me cancel. This is, you know, AOL never let you cancel. How do I cancel my account? I've asked her. And it was like all of these angry and like, no one's responding to me here. It was like the sargasso or like the uh, no, like a black hole of uh, of AOL um, demands. It was very funny. So we shut that board down. We're like, we're not really that thing. But uh, yeah, I get email at the Mac nine one one account also from people who think we're Apple, and I'm like, you know, I'm really sorry. You got to go to Apple Genius Bar or call Apple. Like, we can't help you with one on one support, but we yeah, can I help explain to people, people sometimes. I, I I can't even do it all the time. It would be like a full time job. But um. well, I have the there's an autoresponder for Mac nine one one. The first time you email that email address, it says, Hey, we're not we're a magazine. We're not uh, you know an online site. We're not part of Apple. If you're looking for one to one help, and and even then people don't read the the auto response. So that's it's nice to have a Twitter. Uh, area. It's a reason to use Twitter just to get on there to talk to Apple support and you bypass phone trees and going to a store and you get. get yeah. Like if you just look through their stream, a lot of it is, um, you know, sending them to DM. If they just have general feedback, they're sending them, you know, a link to, to provide general feedback. But if they have um, uh, specific questions, a lot of times the account is asking for more details over DM. And that can be a problem with, you know, trying to provide support in, a, you know, a limited um, forum like like Twitter where you only get so many characters that um, and, and that happens. I mean, you get the Mac 911 emails, too. So, you know, that a lot of them are just like, why can't I print? And you're like, well, geez, I have no idea. Oh, <laughs> like, they need there like could a, be so many reasons you can't print. So app. a lot of times you do need to get like more information before you can actually meaningfully solve the problem. So, but I mean, I'm just scrolling through it and there are, there are some tips. Like sometimes the the question is straightforward enough for them to just answer. Um, they're mostly, they do put out some public tweets. Um, most of them are, are, you know, just replies to people, but the volume is huge. I mean, it's like, I think I saw somewhere they're answering like a thousand questions an hour or something like that. Um, so they must have quite a team. It's not 24 hours. It's 5 a.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific. Um, but that's pretty good. I mean, it seems like they're really they're really putting you know some wood behind this arrow, which I really appreciate because yeah. if you're gonna have a presence on Twitter and you're telling people that you're offering support, um, you know you, you got to be there. And so they're they're showing up and they're doing a good job. The uh, related uh, they need an at photos on OS ten account because that is I think still like fifty percent of the email to Mac nine one one. That would is. be cool if they started oh. spitting them out. If there was like you know an iTunes help account or an, an, there is an Apple Music Twitter account. I think it's more promotional, but they probably provide some support there. I don't know. I stopped following it, but um, yeah, that would be awesome. They could have different accounts for different um, you know products. And, well, they only need like you know there's like fifteen responses you can give to the photos questions because like does and most of them are no, it doesn't do that. Sorry. 
Yeah, use, <laughs> use iPhone if you do that. Uh, moving on, second big just sort of brief story is uh, Supreme Court second says, boo, Apple, boo, boo, boo. <laughs> Um, this is a long-running suit in which Apple was accused of collusion and price-fixing with the book industry, and uh, publishers settled. Apple didn't. It fought on principle. And there's still an issue about whether collusion was, in my mind, I know it was proven in court, okay? So I'm not trying to dispute that. But the specifics of, like, can you have con- a collusion when customer harm isn't precisely shown? The, qu- the issue here was that the harm was monetary, but that wasn't. I don't. I don't know. I feel like the whole thing was murky. We won't go back and all the origins of it. But the the issue is, did you know Steve Jobs uh, cl- uh, uh, work with book uh, sellers? Uh, or sorry, uh, uh, book publishers to set new prices that would challenge Amazon and break its monopoly, but give Apple a position that was more dominant, but also help set higher prices. And the answer is, you know, the courts decided, uh, or you know, civil trials decided yes. Uh, um, I'm sorry, it was, a, uh, it was a civil or criminal trial actually, because it was the Department of Justice that brought the suit, but. Mm-hmm. In any case, it was decided, yes, collusion took place, publishers settled, Apple pursued it, and uh, it's gone all the way up to the Supreme Court, which declined to hear it. And so Apple's going to pay $450 million, a hunk of that goes to consumers, and yay, Amazon remains a monopoly, uh, or a, you know, <laughs> a, a, not a monopoly, but actually a monopsony. They're, they're a monopsy and a monopoly in part. They don't own the market, but they own it to the extent that they effectively own it. That there's no real competition. So yay, consumers! Yay, dominant player that controls the pricing. That's a great outcome. Woo! Anyway, yeah, it seemed like I mean I haven't I've been following this, but not super closely because I don't really understand it super well. So Apple's accused of uh, before you know Amazon would set the prices and they would make best-selling books loss leaders at ten dollars and hoping exactly. to buy other stuff, and then. When Apple launched iBookstore, people were like, well, why would we pay $15 for a bestseller over there when we can get it for $10 at Amazon? But Apple was trying to work with the publishers to let them set their own prices. And that seems like it would be a, like a, you know, an understandable thing. Like if you're selling a product, you should get to set the price, right? So well, the collusion part was that then they would prohibit Amazon from selling books at these other prices, which is tricky. So um, – so they, they wouldn't let Amazon buy it for 15 and then still sell it for 10 Exactly. And there's some issues oh, about yeah, being able to set minimum price because there's an issue about whether you're in uh, – there's an agency model, which is what has now happened. It has shifted to that um, versus a um, – I think it's like a wholesale model. So the wholesale mm-hmm. model, you pay a fixed price, whatever that price is that the publisher wants to charge, and then you charge any price you want. In an, oh. agency, in an agency model, you agree on a price, and there may be discounting and other exceptions that you Why work out. Why did I out. find that so hard to understand all these years? <laughs> well, because it's, pre- it's presented in this way because there are, there are partisans because some people are anti-Apple and some are pro-Apple. What you won't find is typically people who are trying to defend Amazon's right to control the book market, but that's really what this was about. Now, if jo- it, what, what they could have done is they could have done things like it's perfectly legal to have exclusives. So they could have said all new books are going to be priced at, uh, you know, uh, these five publishers have all agreed separately with Apple that uh, we're going that new hardcover books, their ebook edition is going to be available for the first 120 days exclusively from uh, Apple or other companies that agree to this agency model. After that, we'll let it, you know, there's lots of ways they could do it. Instead, they simply refused to sell to Amazon unless it agreed to pricing. Uh, now, in the end, what's interesting is Amazon, uh, you know, there's a couple interesting trends going on. It's kind of funny to see this settle now. There was just another report that came out looking at the market. Ebook sales, uh, you know, they went up enormously for a few years. Then they tapered off. And then uh, at least one 
a book industry uh, research uh, study from I think it was last quarter that just came out showed ebook sales declining as a percentage oh. of the whole. So this is the interesting thing. I as go, a percentage of all books, like people are going back to paper people books are buying, a little bit? Uh, yeah. So here's the thing that's fascinating. The reason that Amazon discounts uh, ebooks, the reason they said it that way is that, um, I mean, there's this, okay, so there's this very funny, I don't want to, I've written about this extensively. I, I should put a link in the show notes, but the fact is hardcover books have huge margins still and publishers have to protect uh, their business still mm-hmm. in the current model until there's maybe a big flashover point, uh, which may never come. Hardcover books uh, have super high margins and they keep hardcover books for sale until such a point that it makes sense to release a paperback version. At that point, they drop the ebook price. So they artificially set the ebook price high. So when the hardcover edition is out for a new book, in order to not cannibalize hardcover sales, Amazon heavily discounts hardcover sales. You know, sometimes by forty percent, they'll cover, they'll just kind of hardcover book price. Uh, however, Amazon makes more money from selling an ebook. So to Amazon's, so the publisher gets the same price from everybody they sell the hardcover book to because that's a wholesale price, which is can be you know fifty five percent to sixty percent off list price. They always get paid that, um, and uh, the Amazon was willing to take a loss on their. <laughs> there too. Loss on ebooks to make a higher margin, shift people away from hardcovers and give them more leverage in terms of pricing everything. So it was kind of a, a pincer move and also a way for them to control the market better. The more the hardcover market gets uh, disemboweled, the more control Amazon has uh, on the entire shape of the book market. So that's the and Amazon backstory. wants us reading ebooks because we read them on Kindles. A yeah, lot although they don't too. care because they don't make money on Kindles typically. They make money on selling ebooks. So, oh, that's but, right. But yeah. they'd rather sell. It's easier for them and cheaper for them to sell an ebook than a hardcover book. And and typically, I should say, I, I can't remember the varies, but they often make much more money from an ebook, even one that's discounted. But if they keep the price consistent, let's say the the publisher wants to sell the ebook for fifteen bucks and the hardcovers, you know, thirty list price. Amazon's selling the hardcover for. 40% off. So the hardcover is suddenly 16 bucks, right? The mm. publisher would like the ebook to be 15 or 16 bucks, something like that. And Amazon's selling it for 10, but it's $10 forever. So when the paper book comes, paperback edition comes out, the publisher cuts their price of the ebook way down, or in the old model where it was wholesale, they cut it way down. Then suddenly Amazon makes a lot of money off the ebook, even though they took a loss early on and they're making money selling off the hardcover. I mean, so it's this funny dance. So where Apple was trying to insert itself, it really was totally disruptive to Amazon's model because it wasn't going to let Amazon get these early sales and cannibalize the hardcover market. But what's turned out is there is a there is some kind of natural level of how many books people want ebook form, even with the ubiquity of e-readers and e-reading software, and and the choices you have out there relative to the books. And the other thing is, look. So I just uh, watched the Expanse uh, series that ran on Sci-Fi last fall. I mm-hmm. thought it was wonderful. I'd read the first book in the series, and the series covers part of the first book and parts of the second. Uh, and so I'm like, you know, I never read books two, three, four, and five. I'm like, all right, well, I'll go online and see about getting them. I got them inexpensively in, you know, used paperback editions. They were produced first in paperback. I got them cheaply. I think I spent five or six bucks for each of them. I would have spent a lot more for the ebook edition. Yeah. So am I going to be an ebook buyer in that case? No, because the used book market is so strong. Uh, or if I wanted to buy it new, I think the cost of the new book was only slightly more at Amazon than the ebook. And then I'd have it and I could give it to someone else to read. So I think a natural level may have been set or at the moment. Uh, and unless uh, the cost of printing goes up again, which is going to be unlikely because uh, commodity prices, uh, natural resources um, have become cheap again. You know, oil oil has dropped 
a lot of other raw materials have dropped. There's a problem with the entire recycling industry because uh, virgin materials are cheap. So it's likely we have a span again of many years in which paper won't be suddenly super expensive like it has been at points in the last 15. So anyway, that's the background. <laughs> but hey, here's the thing, Susie. All right. So here's the thing, Susie. This $450 mm -hmm. million, dollars, you know what $400 million of it is? Uh, no. Rebates to Apple's ebook buyers that they can apply to future ebook purchases. Woohoo! I know. So That's you're like, me. okay, so Apple, so A, how many people redeem those ever? Are Apple's we going to get like a dollar though? Yeah, exactly. Like, I, didn't, I don't know if I bought anything in the first few years in that period cover. I'll probably get like a $4 coupon. I'll maybe buy an ebook. And then Apple gets additional sales and more people using the iBook store. So in the end, it's a weird marketing promotion in the form of a lawsuit. They'll pay $50 million to the states and then legal fees. Cool. Yeah, then they'll get most of that. They'll get all that money yeah, back. It's kind of a weird thing in principle. Well, and it's like you know that's chump change for Apple. I know. Fifty million. Have, Come on. Yeah, I know. It's funny, but I think they really just didn't feel. They felt like they're ill served, and I have to agree. The suit, it just didn't make sense. And here, even the settlement doesn't really penalize Apple that much because four hundred million is just rebates to customers. So those customers will just buy more stuff from Apple. So, <laughs> I don't know. It probably will help them. They'll make that 50 I'm million. I'm going to bury that rebate in the yard. That'll uh. show them. All right. So let's get on to Dormant Cyber Pathogen. Dormant Cyber Pathogen. Dormant Cyber Pathogen. Um, so, so FBI they think case. that they're going to they're gonna unscrew this phone and lift off the glass, and then all these things will come flying out like the end of Raiders of the Last Ark, and we'll all breathe them in and turn into robot Terminators and die, right? You just, you just, did, a, you just did a Glenn. You called it the Last Ark, not the Lost Ark. That's me. I do that. I say things wrong. <laughs> I call them they must be giants. Did I say Raiders of the Last Ark? Classic. Well, there aren't any arcs after it, as far as I'm aware. But. That's, that's the more obscure Indiana Jones movie. I don't know if you've heard of it. Riders it's, on the Lost Ark. It's pretty, It's yeah. uh No, that's, 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 that's what I call them. I call that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what they, well, let's, let, let's start with aiding murderers. Though. This was the best quote of the last week. So this is the... Uh, the FBI wanting uh, Apple under the All Writs Act to create special software to allow them to more easily crack, the FBI to easily crack this one phone, just one phone, hundreds of phones, but <laughs> hundreds of phones, <laughs> excuse me. And um, so the F and, uh, New York Police Department has a counterterrorism department, as they should, as they would. Uh, and its chief said this ridiculous thing. You're actually <laughs> providing aid to the kidnappers, robbers, and murderers who've actually been recorded on the telephones in Rikers Island telling their compatriots in the outside, you got to get iOS 8. It's a gift from God. And that's a quote because the cops can't crack it. I'm like, uh, when you read something <laughs> like that, you know it's manufactured. You know that person made that up. You know, that's not what was said. I've heard that, you know, we have – it's like, hey, oh, yeah, you're intercepting uh, – Calls. Well, these are people talking to. When iOS 7 came out, the cops were all about it because yeah. it had activation lock. And they were like, great, there will be fewer, like, you know, smash and grab, like, you know, snatch your phone uh, out of your, punch you in the face and snatch your phone away and, like, go resell it because you, it couldn't be, like, you know, reactivated once it was remotely wiped. Also, hey, this guy's talking about iOS 8. Like, am I going to trust the New York Police Department counterterrorism chief if he's talking about iOS 8? <laughs> I was nine, dude. I was nine. Well, it's like dude. in Rikers Island, you know, things move a little more slowly. That's right. They've been locked. They're away still updating the iOS eight. It's like Android over they're there. In the they're in the like, When are we gonna get marshmallow? Oh, but this is the kind of nonsense. It's like you know, it's like there, it's nothing to do with reality. This is propaganda in order to try to sway public opinion, as opposed to having a reasonable debate on what's actually going on. So, 
Ah, uh, um, yeah. The part, and then, yeah, um, I mean, if they took away everything from everybody just because like a criminal could use it too, like we would never have anything, you know? Like, why have locks on your doors? That's the yeah. Criminals use guns. We all still have guns. Like, I don't want to get into guns, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay, locks okay. on the doors. Like, oh, you know, a criminal could use that to lock the cops out. Like this, you know, these aren't. These aren't good arguments. Well, what was They're the quote not. that came up last week? It was about a warrantless space. It was a really fascinating. Uh, James Comey uh, was like, oh, "Yeah, there, there, there are zones of complete privacy, and that sounds like an awesome thing until you really think about it." And I'm like, "No, I've really thought yeah. about it. It's, here's, that's here's an awesome thing." Here's what he said: James Comey, the FBI chief, said, "If there are warrant-proof spaces in American life, what does that mean, and what are the costs of that?" And uh, and John Gruber wrote this in Daring Fireball. I found it profound. There have always been warrant-proof places containing information inaccessible to law enforcement, our minds, mm-hmm. which reminded me of the Orwell quote I used at it's the end of one really of the articles. It's getting Orwell up in here. I wrote because Orwell said essentially the same thing. It was something about uh, in 1984. It wasn't him saying it, but it was you know the the only place that your privacy is in the you know cubic centimeters in your cerebellum, something like that. Yeah, and it's so apropos. It's like is the iPhone. Well, you know, in the hearing, you know, they were talking mind. about like, yeah, you, there's there's no like if I have a safe in my house or if I have a diary, like, you know, you can get warrants for all of that. And it's like, yeah, but OK, like your diary, like we don't have anything that can compare to the amount of data that's in a phone. Like your diary doesn't have a list of every single person that you've talked to and it doesn't have, you know, GPS tags of everywhere you've been and what time you were there. Your diary doesn't have a copy of like every photo you've ever taken. You know, like there's just there's so much more data in a phone that I think, you know, it's it really is a different story than I, it, I was getting so mad during during the um, congressional hearing that they were just I was I tweeted I was calling it analogy theater because they were just coming up with like <laughs> all these analogies like the, the questions were like, OK, let me come up with an analogy. It's like a safe. It's like a drawer. Like what if your landlord made a key to your apartment, like all this stuff. And then their question would be like to to, to Bruce Sewell from Apple. They would be like, how is this different? You know, how how is this unlike yeah. your landlord making a key to your apartment? And he's like, well, I mean, it's different. That's an analogy you just made up. Like it was so frustrating. So yeah, I mean, Gruber's point about how they can't—they've never been able to get in your brain, and and your phone is like it has the, the amount of information. Like that's the closest thing that you can kind of you know make a parallel to. It's 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 more than than some papers in a drawer. It's more than you know your secrets written in a diary because like it it can track your movements. It's got, you know, it's got your freaking heart rate in it. Like, I don't know how they'd use that to solve crimes, but it's, it's it's so much bigger. Well, there's well, they could prove you were climbing a flight of stairs at a time when you said you were sitting in your living room. Perhaps I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know um, because they could use the barometer information. Um, well, I mean, here's the thing too: is it's not even like we. I don't think uh, you know. I certainly am not arguing. I don't think you're arguing that law enforcement shouldn't have the right to attempt to gain access to that information, but because it is so critical and private that we should have the right to protect it against yes. any purpose, not just against the legal. One. I mean. What it boils down to is the FBI wants to set up a fight and, you know, some other folks in government want to set up a fight that this is about, um, you know, they, they, they keep trying to firewall this off and say this is just about criminals. It's just about criminal activity. We only want to use it for this purpose. And it's that incredible, you know, purposeful naivete, which I think is ingenuous or, or disingenuous rather, it, that um, 
that this wouldn't affect everybody. They keep kind of coming back to that. We just need it for this purpose. We just want to use it once. We just, 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 just. Only and in terrorism cases. Yes. Like, As you I know. tell my children, whenever I hear the word just, it usually means that they're doing something they shouldn't. It's like if you're trying to... It's, <laughs> it's, oh, it is it's kind so of true. a trigger word, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you say just. And when the FBI says these things, it says this is about law enforcement, right, whatever. It's like, well, then you're saying there is no right... I mean, there there is an inherent right to our... You know, I think inside our minds, but also people, uh, you know, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights declares certain rights of privacy, of, uh, you know, respect for person. And law enforcement can override some, but not all of those. And there's this idea that when the FBI talks this way, the FBI does not have absolute rights to everything. When they talk about, well, we should be able to get in the safe, it's like, yeah, with a warrant in the right circumstances. The problem with this kind of technology is that it can be exploited without a warrant, with simple possession of a device, or without even possession of the device. These things can be exploited by law enforcement and other parties, and other parties we're worried about, or by dictatorships. It, it's when they try even restrict it to, we have a warrant, we have the phone in our possession, that's the only time this would be used. That is also specious. Like, even if you disregard all the privacy issues about, you know, most of the uses. Um, so, you know, hey, so a powerful weapon in this defense is the judge in the uh, New York ruling. I think we talked about this last week. It came out before the last podcast. The uh, the DOJ is now fighting this New York ru ruling where Judge Ornstein, Ornstein yes. uh, released an extremely detailed opinion. I heard more about it after we talked last week is um, – he is part of a movement of magistrates, yeah. and uh, I didn't realize how uh, he wants it to it be like a greater conversation. He basically yeah. like agrees with Apple that this is a congressional issue and they shouldn't be using the All Writs Act to to get this done. I dig it. I dig it. So he wrote a super long. I mean, this is what you know. If you don't want your opinions to be overturned by an appeals court, you document like crazy. It doesn't mean they won't be, but you know, and I think uh, Judge Posner. Uh, is the appeals court above him. And Posner is a really interesting guy. Like, love reading his opinions. He wrote about the Sherlock Holmes uh, copyright case. He has a book on plagiarism. He wrote really movingly about his opinions about Judge Scalia, uh, Justice Scalia, uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so uh, Posner, I think, will wind up being one of the people who uh, who responds to this if it, uh, on the appeal, and that'll be fascinating. But, um, yeah, Ornstein is trying to provide a basis, uh, you know, with massive amounts of citation so that, you know, to, in order to get a here, in order to get a uh, court level decision overturned, it has to be on the facts. It, I mean, it can't, I'm sorry, it's not on the facts. It's on the uh, process, on the legal process, mm -hmm. and precedent, and so forth. So the appeals court uh, has to feel firmly that all the facts are in place. And when you document it like this, it gives you a higher chance that the court is not going to try to overturn something unless there's obvious errors. So. That's fascinating. So the, D the Department of Justice is fighting there. Uh, Craig so it goes from oh. the magistrate judge up to what's next, like the, the oh, district court? Or? There's a, in New York State, I think there's the Supreme Court is actually the appeals court level, and they handle, I forget, the organizational thing. And then it will go, because uh, this was, this Judge Ornstein is a New York magistrate. Uh, I know we get to so much the legal system here, don't we? Yeah, he's a yeah, magistrate, he's a magistrate just in Brooklyn. Ju in Brooklyn, yeah. And so it will go, I don't know, the next level. Yeah, the Supreme Court. Oh, oh the no, Justice sorry, Department the, has asked the District Court, Judge the district court. Margo okay. Brody, to hear the case. Does uh, the Justice Department get to pick the judge? That's weird. I don't know. Well, there's, yeah, I don't know. This is where we get, we'll have to get legal experts on to talk about that. But the, uh, I mean, I think there's three levels of appeal above this. Because the District Court, I believe there's a higher court in, uh, New York State, and then it would go up to a, perhaps a U.S. District Court and then to the Supreme Court, conceivably. So this could be many, many years if it gets bumped up, but um, we'll see. Uh, Craig Federici, meanwhile, the, being uh, talky, uh, talky Apple executives, very fascinating. Um, I like him. 
yeah, he's, he seems like a mellow dude. And he wrote a piece in the Washington Post, or it was under his byline. Let's just be fair. We don't know. Uh, I'll give him, give him credit. He's a good talker. Maybe it's a, no, <laughs> he said it know. was his first op-ed. And, like Apple sent it out and they were like, this is his first yeah, op-ed. This, so. But it was basically, it was, it was absolutely. I believe you, Craig. It was absolutely dead on. I'm sure they proofread it in-house. Absolutely dead on, which is that, um, you know, if you want to roll back to iOS 7, you're rolling back to a point at which uh, the iPhone was vastly less secure against uh, hackers and uh, malicious parties and malicious governments and, and the rest. So you're really saying, you know, when you say when the FBI says we prefer this older version, it's like you're also bringing all the baggage with it, which the, everybody was complaining about. Law enforcement complained about it. And uh, urge people to, uh, you know, you have the White House urging companies to protect, to, to build better systems. You have the Internet of Things coming out, in which you have the FTC talking in detail about what best practices should be and trying to get even maybe some enforcement power. In fact, already bringing enforcement actions against companies. There was a settlement recently uh, because a company, I'm forgetting which one, a company didn't properly secure data, uh, even when they were aware of it. So, you know, you yeah, have a one Yeah, we need that. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, like, uh, with the VTech, like, little kids' <laughs> data got stolen. Oh, I mean, like, we've seen creeps, like, talking to babies through the monitor, you know, the through the video monitors. Oh. Like, there's there's creepy people out there doing creepy things. And, yeah, like, companies, I mean, people should buy technology from companies that care about, like, keeping your data safe. And that's that's supposed to be a good thing. It's true. And I so I kind of, I mean, that's, there's... Yeah, I love this op-ed. It was really great. We're going to link it up. Everybody should go read it. It's we get back read. into the whole, like, uh, the backdoor issue, which is, you know, the FBI technically is not asking for a backdoor. They're asking for a custom operating system that would allow them to carry out. Uh, uh, just take the vicious guard dog away from oh the front god. door it's just and like, let us pick the lock. Whenever it's he like, says no, that, I'm like, you, oh my you god. You pick the lock and you tase that guard dog yourself. <laughs> we're, we're like, I'm like, we are so boned. Just kidding. Don't tase dogs. Don't tase dogs. The uh, Macworld so, podcast is officially against dog taste. We are bo boned. That's, yeah, that's our policy. It's on the front page of the site. Um, we are so boned if the FBI chief actually believes that, that there's like a thing that Apple could turn off as opposed to Apple having to essentially engineer around. And here's the thing. I mean, we were talking about this already. I'm just loving that Apple is, I, I like, what is 9.3.1 going to look like? Like 9.3.1 oh, include this. But 9.3.1 is going to be like, you will no longer be able to sideload firmware on this version. It's like, boom, you know, and that's yeah. it. Unless that's made illegal. The, I saw someone post this thing today. It's like, better get to know your local drug dealer now because next year that's going to be who you're buying your phone from. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, that was good. Yeah, that was good, and it's true. It's like you, you know, we, genie out of the bottle. We keep coming back to this. It's like if the FBI manages to force Apple to do this, it ruins. It's going to, you know, harm Apple sales worldwide, harms privacy and democracy and and freedom. Um, but also, it uh, it means that just people will try different stuff. They'll run different stuff. Yeah, there's I mean, other phones. There's like Black Phone. There's other phones that are built for you know like super secure purposes and those companies might not be as agreeable <laughs> you know they might be located outside the u.s and then law enforcement has even fewer options so well, we talked you and i talked about this on a different podcast we were both on the clockwise podcast recently on the relay network and um talking about like what would apple do if this you know if they were forced to make changes and i'm like you know apple could open up ios and let you sideload apps and for certain things or open up the api and then you'd have to have Congress passed laws and a president signed them that would ban the use of specific APIs in, in, you know, you're like operating systems. And you're thinking at that point, does that happen? 
So Apple could actually create, it could modify iOS to allow third-party cryptographic plugins that came from wherever, and then they have to be banned. Then you have who's going to enforce the download and installation of third-party cryptographic plugins that work, you know, and on and on and on and on. You're like, it just shows you how ridiculous uh, it is. You're going to criminalize people's desire to be free from hackers. No. Well, then there you go. Um, man, we Yeah, sound- that's essentially what they're doing. They're this trying to our- criminalize people's desire to be free from hackers. That's this is our, um, yeah, and I, I understand the law enforcement part of this. I totally do. But it's also like, this is the thing we keep coming back to is that there are so many other tools law enforcement has and that it uses. And you have all these law enforcement people saying, this is all a faint. It doesn't really help. Like, this isn't really help with police work. This doesn't really help. It's very rare that there's something that's locked away that's actually useful by the time we could get access to it anyway, it's, it's where does the dormant that, that's where the dormant cyber pathogen dormant came, right? cyber pathogen yeah just where does that actually that come from it's we need uh, the San Bernardino uh, it's the district attorney's filing in San Bernardino uh, put this in something about uh, it's like it's I think is it a friend of the court brief I got to find the thing oh the oh there's San, a new yeah, story that district the district attorney, attorney Michael uh, Ramos has uh, he's backtracked from that remark oh lord <laughs> it was just that like that was it's the throw I got a pot BS. of spaghetti I'm throwing it to the wall and seeing what sticks because we're trying yeah the seized iPhone may contain evidence that can only be found on the seized iPhone that it was used as a weapon to introduce a lying dormant <sighs> cyber pathogen that endangers San Bernardino County's infrastructure. I'm posing a continuing threat. He's to the going around of San connecting his iPhone to like different, you know, computers in San Bernardino. Yeah, and there's infecting a dormant, them with this. He's infected them with something pathogen. that's going to harm. Yeah, San Bernardino. I'm, I'm sure that's possible. Uh, yep, yep. There's no. I mean, it's, it's, you know, this is the the legal argument. It doesn't hurt to throw more stuff in there because it just gets thrown out. It's like no, you're now you're a laughing stock because you're watching too much 24 or CSI. Uh, According to the Associated Press, he later acknowledged there was, quote, no evidence, quote, unquote, to back up his statement, but added, quote, I wouldn't call it a total hypothetical. <laughs> That's. Uh, yes, yes, I, I would. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, this is not, this isn't an angry podcast. Just because I made it up doesn't mean it's totally hypothetical. Resign. It's nice. It's uh, Johnson, Jonathan uh, Zdrowski. Uh, he's my favorite about. person on Twitter right now. Yeah, Can I just he's say? Falling, he's he's falling killing now. it. I followed he's him. He's following it me back. Day. It's very exciting. Um, yeah, he's oh, just, I love it when someone awesome follows Well, he's so back. credible. Like our friend Rich Mogul, who's been on the podcast a couple times recently. Uh, Jonathan is also, he's just, he works with law enforcement. He doesn't exaggerate. He has a history of of being right and of showing the technical detail correctly and also admitting when he's wrong and uh, and providing documentation about that. So when he, he was speaks, talking, I think, yesterday about how, um, I mean, like there's some ways where like law enforcement just needs to kind of step up its own, um, you know, procedures and, uh, you know, yeah, its own procedures because he's like one of their biggest problems is that they don't keep these like if they seize a phone and, and they're using it in an investigation, they don't even remember to keep it charged. Like mm-hmm. they'll let, just let it die and then they can't like, you know, boot it back up again. And yeah, so there's there's all, there's all kinds of of like little things that they could do that that would really help. But you know, know. until they get all that really, really squared away. Uh, let's see what else we got. We got this is FBI week as usual. Uh, oh, so a bunch of tech companies. I think this is just after we recorded the last podcast. Uh, filed friend of the court brief uh, to support Apple, and so it's a ton of companies. And and here's all right. So this is the one that gets me teary. I'm going to talk about this. So I'm here. Everyone, get your Kleenexes out. This is Glenn is very labile. I'm I look. I can barely read the newspaper in the morning because if there's a sad story, in it, I start crying. It's just the way. Oh, I am. me too. You know, later in the day I could read it, but whatever. But so so you have a bunch of companies that you know Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon, a bunch of firms, a bunch of associations, and whatever. 
Uh, here's the thing is that uh, the survivor, uh, husband of uh, one of the people who was uh, shot in the in San Bernardino and uh, survived. She shot three times but survived. Um, husband wrote this amazing thing about, um, you know, this is, this is a statement. This is the thing. Uh, when I first learned Apple was opposing the order, I was frustrated that it would be yet another roadblock. But as I read more about their case, I've come to understand their fight is for something much bigger than one phone. They're worried the software the government wants them to use will use against millions of other innocent people. I share their fear. That is what I would call the uh, – it's a uh, Lawrence uh, Kohlberg's theory is universal uh, moral principle. It's someone who is able to look past their own situation and not just make a an ethical decision that is fair, but it actually rises like almost a superhuman ethical position where they can weigh the harm that was actually caused in their community to their to their wife uh, and uh, you know even the, the principles of law and say, no, this is actually much bigger than us and it's much more important. So I, I was moved by that. Yeah, it's a really good letter. People should definitely read it. I'm sure there are people who were shot or have family shot and killed who are writing other things. I have not seen those. <clears throat> I've seen it's like press conferences and things, but this is uh, – And this guy had amazing. a really interesting perspective because, you know, like the shooter, he's a Muslim. Um, his wife, like the shooter, worked for San Bernardino County, um, and she also had a work-issued iPhone. And he was like, look, I mean, they were really specific about, like, that the county could um, could monitor all your communications, and they also monitored the locations of these iPhones, to, you know, just, just to see where if people were where they were supposed to be. Um, so there, he's like, he just doesn't believe that there, that there would be... Uh, you know, useful information on that phone if it was a work phone. And yeah. since, you know, the shooter also had a personal phone that he thoroughly destroyed. So so he has some really interesting, um, you know, perspective on the case. And it's, it's a really good letter. But yeah, I, I, lo- I love his <coughs> conclusions. Uh, and then we also have the UN human rights chief backing Apple. A decision against Apple would be potentially a gift to authoritarian, authorita- or excuse me, let me say that, authoritarian regimes say that five times fast, as well as to criminal hackers. And, uh, you know, this is a paraphrase. We have the link to the story. Author- authorities in other countries have already made efforts to force IT and communications companies, such as Google and BlackBerry, to expose their customers to mass surveillance, he added. And I'm like, that guy sounds just like me. Uh, <laughs> say, it's like this is, you know, and then you have the UN human rights chief. You know, wh- so you have husband of a victim who lived. You have oceans of former intelligence people and law enforcement. You have human rights. I'm just like, ah, uh, just go. All like, the security experts. All one the of the friend experts. of a court, court briefs was from like, you know, all these really big security guys. And, and then they you were got, saying like, no, like we know what we're talking about and this is a bad Yeah. Idea. Then you got dormant cyber pathogen and call off your guard dogs, Apple. And like, all right, I know which, I mean, all right. Uh, one other thing I want to bring up, it was sort of funny is um, – uh, you would suspect with another company, you would assume these were hired people. There were rallies in support of Apple at Apple stores and other locations. Yeah. And it got some coverage. I mean, and it wasn't a ton of people, but it was probably in the hundreds overall, based on what I read, is people rallying for civil liberties and civil rights, essentially, um, mm-hmm. and privacy and, and backing Apple in its stance, which has got to be – and you're Tim Cook. You're like, holy crap. Hundreds of people came out to support us, a multi-billion dollar corporation that makes huge amounts of profit. I mean, that's kind of – it reminded me of an old Saturday Night Live sketch in the Bill Murray days uh, – in which uh, about Dr. Pepper and people like, hey, where are you going, kids? Like, oh, we're going to go uh, – we're going to go uh, help uh, wash the uh, Dr. Pepper uh, delivery vehicles. Like, why are you doing that? Well, we're all peppers. You wouldn't understand, man. And it's this very funny corporate thing. Um, but I think it's great. I mean I think, again, it's not in support of Apple as, yay, make more profit. It's, yay, help defend rights that 
companies that are really big have a big voice and they can do it. Yeah, I mean, if there was another product in my house that was, you know, the subject of of litigation and controversy and stuff, like it would be hard for me to to care. But your phone, your phone is just so personal, you know. It's got all your stuff in it, and you, it's like the first thing I look at when I wake up, and it's the bad, the last thing I look at when I go to sleep, and that's probably, you know, a, a problem of mine. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's just such a personal thing, and to know that, you know, the 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 government wants into my phone. Like, I mean, not specifically wants into my phone, but you know what I mean? Like, th- what this, is a, this is a scary thing. This is scarier than, you know, like, um, you know, your washing machine or something. This is this is a big deal. So, yeah, those protests were organized by a, uh, a nonprofit called Fight for the Future. That's um, they, they try to raise awareness about, um, you know, these these kind of these kind of uh, controversies, um, you know, Getting people to think about, you know, the internet and 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 the rules around the internet, stuff like uh, net neutrality and, and SOPA and PIPA and, that, and those kind of things. So we felt like the it was a it was a cool thing for them to protest, and they they organized it really quickly, and it was in a ton of different cities. Um, the Washington D.C. one was outside FBI headquarters, and they were nice to send us a bunch of pictures that we put up. Um, but yeah, so it was you know it was also to raise awareness of, of them, <laughs> which I think they did a really good job, but. But yeah, like some of those protests got, you know, a couple hundred people out to them. So that's really cool. The uh, Caitlin went out to the one in New York and, and talked to a bunch of people and it was like raining. It was nighttime. It was dark and cold. It was like a rainy night in New York in February. And there were people out there. She talked to a really nice lady who's like, I took the bus here from New Jersey. Um, I've never come to a protest before, but I think this is really important. So So that's really cool that people are, you know, they're, they're, they're taking the time to, to speak up and say, like, this affects all of us. It's good. I think as things go along, we may see see more of that. And, um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking uh, this line popped in my head. I had to look up where it came from when you're talking about, you know, that's that's my phone. That's where I keep everything. Is It's from The Tick, from the animated series. An interviewer is asking The Tick about, his, super, about his superpowers. He says, well, can you blow up the world? And The Tick says, egad, I hope not. That's where I keep all my stuff. <laughs> I was thinking about my phone. Don't pull out my phone. It's where I keep all my stuff. Yeah. Oh, uh, great show. Well, so that's our FBI cast for the week. I don't even other... like my phone to run out of batteries. That's like right. I get panicked if it's just if I can't turn it on. Much less accessed. Uh, it's an important device. It's true. So uh, on to um, uh, other encryption issues. Amazon had a little <laughs> kerfuffle about uh, Fire OS 5. Um, it was so unfortunately timed. Like, yeah. It was like the same day that they like, you know, joined in on one of these friend of the court briefs. Um, oh, you know, the, the story broke that they had also removed uh, full disk encryption from Fire OS, which yeah, like is months the ago, fork of Android that runs on Fire tablets and the, the ill-fated Fire phone. Yeah, so it had been an option you could turn on in Fire OS 4, and then they started releasing... Uh, 5, which is uh, parallel to Android 5, Lollipop, and uh, Android 5 included so, – so Fire OS 4 included some form of full disk encryption uh, that I don't know if it was baked into Android or not because Android 4 did not have a required version. Android 5 had an optional uh, FTE because uh, not all the hardware that could run Android 5 was capable of handling the encryption uh, without – you know, sort of crippling the phone's speed. So I think by uh, Android uh, 6, I think it's required now if you want, but they gave manufacturers enough time. They can't specifically require it, but I think basically you'd have to make a fork if you didn't want to do it um, as a basic thing. So uh, Fire OS 5 started being released for, I think, the flagship devices last fall. 
And uh, it's only until a, few, a week or so ago that a security researcher noticed the note about encryption being removed when it's, they released it to some of the older, uh, less high-performance Fire devices. And I think the reason is the same. I think it's because the performance is so poor with encryption enabled. The Amazon said – they sent a statement to me and a lot of other press – that said, uh, this is an enterprise-class feature we removed from some things that users just don't use. And it's mm -hmm. possible people didn't turn it on because it wasn't uh, presented as a choice or on their particular Fire device. I mean, some of the Fire devices, aren't they like $25 when you buy a six-pack or something? <laughs> There's some. Yeah. No, I'm not kidding, right? Isn't it like you can buy a six-pack of some of the low-end tablets? They probably don't – they probably – I mean, they, they cannot include – in the generation of equipment, the encryption co-processing uh, circuitry that would let it handle it full, you know, full speed. And Apple even, it wasn't until Apple put in essentially a, a hardware-accelerated encryption that it made sense to FD and phones. But that's now cheap technology in relative terms. So I just wrote in a private eye, it was on Macworld.com, private eye column that uh, Amazon should just be designing it to uh, you know, add a few cents of cost, which is all it probably really runs these days, to put in the hardware encryption uh, hardware accelerated encryption that would allow uh, full disk encryption without it being compromised. But I think Amazon and Amazon said, oh, we're going to put it back. We're going to put it back in April or in, in spring. I'm sorry, probably by April. Uh, it'll still be an option. It won't be mandatory because, again, you turn it on in some fire devices, they will be unusable. Uh, so that's that's a separate issue. But I think designing to have FDE as a default is kind of the baseline for the future. Yeah, I thought you made a good point about um, the fire uh, in, in that column about the Fire tablets, um, they're really, it's a little bit different. Like they're really kind of designed as as uh, media consumption devices. So, you know, you sign into your Amazon account and then all your Kindle books are there and all your, you know, games and stuff. And you could use it as a, you know, you, you could use it as a, uh, you know, a real computing device and like, you know, put uh, productivity apps on there and put your files on there and stuff and you know you can link it to your Dropbox and everything but most of the the information is is going to be pulled from the cloud so if there was a way to you know like remotely wipe all your credentials from it you know maybe full disk encryption wouldn't be like quite so important but yeah it's just it was such terrible timing that that, that was when they decided you know that was when it it the, it the um the story broke that they were taking it out, so they very quickly just uh, backtracked and said they were going to put it back in. I uh, just think it is a matter of timing. It's true. I mean, they didn't think anyone would notice because no one was using it, and it's like, oh, rallying cry. At least, I mean, there was initially, I think, a little conspiracy theory uh, briefly, and then it was like, no, it's just these are underpowered devices. Like so. they still sell eight gigabyte tablets, so I mean, oh, you know, geez. a lot, and, and and they're very cheap. Like the the cheapest Fire tablet you can buy now is a seven inch screen Wi Fi only, <laughs> eight gigabytes for fifty dollars. So uh, it's 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 kind of a it's not exactly apples to apples, but it's. You know, yeah, we this should just be the standard going forward. As you know, we should all like the the arc of technology should be moving towards encrypting everything. Yeah, I mean, there was a point when like Wi-Fi wasn't being included in things that made sense with Wi-Fi in because it cost like fifty bucks to put it in, and then by the time it hit market, that's hundreds of dollars in cost or something. You're like, all right, that's too much, and then then it's like, all right, well, it actually costs like a buck fifty to add Wi-Fi, like high-speed Wi-Fi with chips and circuitry, and anyway, it's already built into your system on a chip or whatever. Like, it doesn't. You're actually disabling Wi-Fi to not include it. I feel like this has to fall in the same categories uh, with the uh, exponential increase in computational power and the development of circuits that are you – know, chips and circuitry that are specifically designed to make this happen. It is no longer an excessive cost, even if they're selling the fire. As a loss leader, they can take a few more cents off it and give people that additional security. Yeah. 
I would uh, pay $52 for this tablet. Exactly. That would be fine. Oh, uh, it's probably, at this point, it's probably, Still like a I bargain. Say, it's probably a feature. They just have to flip a switch. Like, hey, hey, can you, uh, hey, call China. Hey, China, can you, uh, you know, just flip that one switch, the manufacturing line? Sure. We'll oh, it's $65 that. if you want it without special offers. Oh, my gosh. Which is them um, putting ads on the lock screen. What was this? They had a six-pack deal that cracked me up. Was it $50 each? I've never like, seen this six-pack, but I'm it intrigued. Was over Christmas, it was, uh, yeah, fire. Oh, I'm sorry. They were $50, not 25 This was, uh, you can get a six-pack for 50 bucks each of seven inch fire tablets so one you're for, like all the nieces and nephews are getting their own fire tablets this, oh, this year actually it was cheap it was six i'm sorry it's one for 50 dollars six for 250 dollars so you got one free essentially oh buy five get one yeah. free that's yeah, nice it's a clever idea uh last story of the week is one that um you think it would be a lead story except i think it turned out not to be that big a deal is the uh the first case of ransomware on a macintosh oh no ransomware uh, this is the scariest thing that could happen to a computer i think yeah, and the development of this software, what is it called, Key Ranger or something? K E Ranger. Yeah, um, Key Ranger. So that's the that's the the malware package, and it's a tro- it's been embedded as a Trojan horse. So story here is uh, there's a BitTorrent client called Transmission that's quite nice. I used it. I use that BitTorrent client. Yeah, so I was using it for I was using it in the past. I had to use it for a while because I, I've gone legit. I've gone. I, I I can't go back into the slammer. There are Susie. many legitimate uses for no, BitTorrent. I know there are, and uh, <laughs> but, but I stopped meaning to use it uh, <laughs> when the BBC started to sell Doctor Who in. Uh, the iTunes store. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> moving on. Um, so, but uh, transmission hadn't been updated in two years, and then on February twenty eighth, they released version two point nine point oh, and everyone's like, "Oh, a new version of transmission." People download it, install it. Well, by March fourth, a uh, Palo Alto uh, Networks, I think is the name of it. It's a security research firm. Uh, I'm not sure what alerted them. It's in the story there. They uh, discovered that um, this key ranger software had been embedded is a Trojan horse inside. The copy that was there and was starting to um, and uh, in th- with three days after being uh, not just downloaded, installed. You had to run a transmission, is my understanding. You had to actually launch the software too. Uh, it would uh, lock up your machine, and um, there's components. I don't know they perfected it yet that would actually encrypt your time machine backups if they were attached. Yeah, and uh, demand that you pay about four hundred bucks, one bitcoin, to get the unlock or seven or three sevenths of a or sorry, three-fourths of a Bitcoin, I forget, but 400 bucks to uh, unlock your files. And these malware uh, ransomware things are hilarious because they uh, they have to be legitimate. They have to actually unlock your files because if they don't work... Yeah, they want to have like good customer service. Yeah, they have this whole they thing. They want to be like trustworthy crooks. Yeah, if you have questions, you can email us. If you want to unencrypt one file, go to this URL. It's actually very well we run. Yeah, like un- unencrypt one just to like yeah. prove to you that, like, that, that they're for real. Exactly. It's so, so weird. It's, it's a mess. It's another reason to have encrypted off-site backups, why I use Backblaze or CrashPlan or... Uh, Spider Oak, or you know, there's a bunch of companies you can use, uh, or make backups and dis- detach them, rotate them through from time to time. I have a clone of many of my machines. Like once a month, I get a reminder. I plug in a tiny portable two terabyte hard drive, and I just do a update with uh, Super Duper of various computers, just so I have a snapshot in case something goes horribly wrong. I've got a hard drive with the whole. Uh, drive as of that state, plus any incremental backups I've done to online hosting services. Um, but so this was discovered quickly. Uh, Apple added uh, the uh, affected code to XProtect, its hidden virus protection software. Um, the But the interesting thing, well, I would say the interesting thing, there's a lot of interesting things, is that uh, this revised package was signed with a developer certificate. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard still, I haven't looked this morning yet, 
but it was a, tur- a, a developer registered in Turkey that must have had its uh, certificate hijacked based on, uh, I don't think it was uh, registered in order to be a malicious party, uh, so it didn't uh, get hit by Gatekeeper. It actually looked like a legitimate download. So somewhere, the 2.9.0 release was swapped with a, a fake package downloaded by an unknown number of people, some of whom were infected, and uh, but uh, as soon as Apple pushes out its X-Protect, that software will not launch. So even if you have it there... Uh, and I've got a link in my story. You can it find said there elsewhere. was like a three-day delay too, exactly. so it wouldn't even try to launch until three days after. Yeah, you so had you had. A, so my understanding is just installing it would install the software, but it wouldn't activate. It. You had a lot, and I may be wrong about this, but what I've read is, and I was going to try it myself. I don't have a sandbox I'm really computer. Really paranoid about what version uh, of transmission I'm running right now. Yeah, well, oh, check. It's, the, it's prompt. I have two point eight four, and it's prompting me to get two point nine two. That's correct. And there's a huge red warning about two point nine zero. Yeah, they're very. Um, this is part yeah. of the thing. But you, you can do is uh, if you um, go to it's uh, what's the Palo Alto uh, Networks dot com. We'll have links in there, but it'll tell you if you want to double check. You can see if the files are there, and you can delete them, move them manually before you do anything, so that you're uh, in better shape. But now, um, if you have OS ten and it's been connected to the internet, and you're running OS ten, any version that is XProtect, which is several versions, uh, it will automatically prevent this from launching. And Apple has also revoked the developer certificate, so that will not launch either. Um, but this just highlights the fact that there's uh, uh, really nothing users can do to prevent this kind of specific attack. And I think the rareness of it, scarcity of it, shows that the system as it stands. Well, I mean, I think one of the ironies uh, I wrote about this in my column is that this wasn't uh, a problem with software that wasn't signed by Apple. This wasn't like, oh, OS X is an open system and an app store would solve the problem. It's like, no, this is a registered developer releasing software that maybe if it had gone to the app store, Apple would have screened it or whatever. Who knows? Because it wasn't – I don't know. I don't think the screening process might have actually revealed this problem either unless there was known malicious code inside it that would have gotten screened. When it was signed, you know, it's, the whole process was fo- was followed, but it also meant it was very easy for Apple to revoke this and to and to close it down. But a little scary. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be re-evaluating um, my backup system because I've been using Time Machine because it's you know it's there and it's convenient. But I should probably get serious about uh, you know a second cloud backup. Most of my important stuff is is backed up to to Dropbox. But still, but posted still. online backups. Yeah, I, you know, it's I like probably a, I, time. I like I'm ones just... that let you set your own encryption key. Uh, there's several that do that. I'm using Backblaze and CrashPlan for various reasons I've explained in other podcasts. I've got, but Backblaze is uh, five bucks a month per computer. CrashPlan is can be a little cheaper and has uh, if you have family plans and so forth with a bunch of machines. Yeah. Um, but you can set your own encryption key that they never have access to and they can't gain access to, so you don't have to worry about them. Uh, you know, employees or, um, you know, criminals breaking in or anything like that. Uh, so, and there are other solutions as well. I'm just mentioning those two because I'm familiar with them. But Yeah, I'm going to link up. Um, Chris Finn did a good, like, ultimate Mac backup guide for us recently oh, where good. he kind of went over all the different, um, you know, all the different options available to you and how to kind of pick the, you know, the the routine that's going to work best for you. So I'm going to link up that. And then I know you've written about uh, crash plan and backblaze and stuff. So we'll link up all that. So everyone can take this opportunity to make sure. Because it sounds like it sounds like this particular thing is, you know, not going to be an issue anymore and probably affected very few people. But, you know, the Mac is a is a bigger and bigger target all the time and these things are going to keep coming up so yeah, and we, got, we should all be backing up anyway it's just good yeah good if you can at all i mean this is the thing you know you can get multi-terabyte 
external drives that don't even have yes. to be powered for such little amounts of money. I mean, I got now all my uh, Macs are USB three capable, which is awesome because that's you know. It, in the end, I don't think I can transfer more than about 90 megabytes per second, which is fine. I mean, I think the speed, the maximum performance is 5 gigabits per second, uh, which is about 500 megabytes per second. Um, but 90 is fine. And so, you know, doing these clones using Carbon Copy Cloner or Super Duper or even, you know, disk utility, disk imaging, whatever. You can make these backups, you know, Time Machine. Um, but, you know, just getting a small portable drive, plugging it in, spending 10 or 15 minutes to – uh, update a clone, um, and then you just have that as a separate thing. You put it in a safe deposit box, bring it to work if you've got it at home or vice versa, and you just have that copy that's there just in case you don't lose everything that way, plus off-site hosted encrypted backups. Yeah. All right, well, ransomware I, sounds like the scariest thing. Oh, like, that's it's like terrible. my nightmare. It's terrible. I've seen uh, the, this bookstore that I uh, was doing some co-working uh, at, at a co-working space. Uh, they got – and there are very sophisticated computer people. And some piece of software they were running turned out to be infected because they're all – they're brilliant there. They wouldn't have allowed an ordinary thing to happen. And they got their Windows system – Ransom, and I think at the end they had a backup. They're just like, you know, f those guys. We're gonna just wipe the system and go to the backup, and we'll lose a couple of days' work because we're not going to pay these jerks anything. Um, yeah, but the it, article uh, that IDGNS wrote for us about this said that a Los Angeles hospital last month paid seventeen thousand dollars to they ransom their, their files because it was like, you know, freaking medical records. Like they, they gotta get, get their, those. Uh, did it work? They got it back though, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. This is like. Uh, I think we talked about this before. It's like the, the Somali pirates and uh, other pirates. Mm-hmm. Like the, if you start killing people, then what happens is the navies of the world come in and they all kill you. And that's what happened. And some, like that's why we're not hearing as much about piracy at sea because some of the pirates were, let's say, unprofessional and um, committed murder and other other terrible things. And at that point, it stops being a negotiation. Um, I think Planet Money had a really good story a few years ago about a guy who uh, I think he's Danish, who handles negotiations with pirates to, you know, hand off money and get ships released. And mm-hmm. uh, and I think that was kind – of, I mean, there's still piracy, but the level is way down because, every, you know, at this point, it's like you kill people, you're done, right? So you, you destroy files. Uh, you know, then it's just nobody believes you and there's no – you're not recovering money. You're just a target now. Um, you can wind up arrested in whatever country you are, Moldova, Armenia <laughs> – I'm not trying to insult these countries. It's just where a lot of this stuff happens. I swear to God, I love you. I love you, Armenia. I'm not not making fun of you. <laughs> not making fun of you. It's just uh, where a lot of this stuff happens. Um, well, with that, with me accidentally insulting nations of the world, probably time <laughs> to sign off. But uh, you're on our list, Armenia. Happens in Russia, all these countries, uh, Nigeria. I'm just going to keep listing off countries. Every country told me. So uh, that's that's our roundup of everything that you should scare you about your privacy, privacy and your computers for the week. And Susie, thanks for talking again this week about all this stuff. Yes, thank you. Is uh, frightening as always. It's uh, very scary. Uh, two weeks from now, we'll have a special episode. It'll be episode number five hundred. Yep, we're getting there. 500. We're old. We're so old now. We got episode 500. Back uh, but, in my day, podcasts were on the radio. But the nice, I used to have to tune in my podcast with my giant iPod. It was five we feet liked tall. It. Uh, we'll have, uh, that's going to be a special episode, partly because Apple's going to announce whatever we don't know, a bunch of stuff, probably a, yeah. a new phone. The rumor is that it's iPad. on the 21st and we would record episode 500 on the 22nd. So it's going to be a, we'll, we'll have things to talk about that aren't the FBI, which It'll is very exciting. Jam-packed, wham-packed episode. But uh, until then, join us next week for episode We should make it a clip show and just play like four seconds from all the previous podcasts. Oh, that'd be good. People, I'm tuning in for news and these people are giving me clips. That's, that's, uh, it's... Uh, it's a Simpsons episode for sure. Uh, 
So we'll be back next week, folks. I've been Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. This has been the Macworld Podcast, episode 498 for March 9th, 2016. You can find us online at macworld.com and send us feedback at podcast at macworld.com or go to our post on the site and leave comments there. And uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>